0: Welcome to church. My name is Carter. This morning we'll be continuing our sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Barry will be going through Philippians 2, 1-2 with his message titled, Why Can't We Just Get Along? If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. Head to calvarycommunity.ca to see how you can get involved here. On the page, we have different ministries you can join, engage with community, and see a little bit about what's going on here at Calvary. Make sure you're staying up to date on all of our social media and rolling announcements. We have a lot of events that we do not want you to miss. We're so glad you could join us today.
1: Let me tell you about a church that became divided. The rift was so bitter that despite Scripture's teaching for us not to take a brother or sister to the public court system, they filed lawsuits against each other, trying to remove the other from the property. Sadly, the story hit the local newspapers and garnered a lot of attention and interest from its readers. But during discovery, the judge realized wisely and ruled that the issue was not to be within the court's jurisdiction, but that it should be taken to the church's denominational leadership. Eventually, the denomination decided. They awarded real estate and the properties to one side. The other side that lost, withdrew, and formed another church down the road. Several months later, It was reported in the news, and I don't know why they had to do this in the news, that the denomination had traced the trouble back to its source. And get this, the trouble began when at a church dinner, an elder had been served a smaller slice of ham than an eight-year-old girl beside him. That's a true story sad. Now, before we become too quick to judge, judge them for their pity squabbling, although I think it's okay to feel the embarrassment that they brought to God and to His church. Have you ever looked back at conflict that you started? Maybe it was somebody in your own family, in your own home. Maybe it was a neighbor, an associate at work. Maybe it's a friend that you always hang out with but you feel embarrassed by how upset you got at such a little thing. I sure have. You know, we can be such picky creatures, always wanting things our way. We can be so easily offended by a look that somebody gives us or a comment that we feel is a bit snarky. Now, It's not to make light of these things, but just to show us how easy it is for us to get offside with people that we love, people that we care about. What is going on inside of us that we allow these irritations and these minor disagreements to grow into division? Or should I ask, what is not going on inside that should be that will help us avoid these kinds of things? You know, another way to ask the question is, well, why can't we just get along? Well, this year we are in a series studying the book of Philippians. It is the 11th book of the New Testament. When you're looking in your table of contents, evidently there is a conflict in this Philippian church, located in what is now northeastern Greece, that the Apostle Paul is writing to as he is uh, writing from prison in Rome. He addresses two people later on in this book, by name, but we're going to cover that in the new year. But in our text today, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is trying to head this conflict off at the pass. Even before it gets going, he's trying to help people to choose to get along. What Paul is doing here is creating a foundation for our relationships as we live in community, as we live in small group, so that our relationships, they honor God, and they honor each other rather than embarrass ourselves like the church we just talked about. What is this foundation? Well, it is instruction found in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love being one in spirit and purpose. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is alive and active. It pierces to the very core of who we are. It divides our spirit and soul, helps us understand these things at the very core. And so I just ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand that your word would come alive to us, that you would speak to us, correct us, encourage us. May you have your way within us. We open up our spirit. We open up our heart to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I find it very interesting how intentional Paul is in laying this foundation here. I find it fascinating because he's so consistent with how we are wired as people. Last week, we ended off talking about experientially knowing Christ. You see, there are two seats of knowledge within us. One seat is our cognitive knowledge. This is where we learn facts and principles and concepts. For instance, it's where we learn that two plus two equals four. We learn how cars move. We learn weather patterns and geography and landscape and how to cook with spices and what it takes to live in outer space. Cognitive uh, knowledge. The other one is our seat of experiential knowledge. Something is true or it becomes true because we've experienced it to be true. I can cognitively learn that a stove is hot, but I experientially learn that when I go to touch a hot element. Lorianne can cognitively know that I love her because I told her that, but the meaning of that love becomes far more significant when she experiences my love because I communicate it in a way that she understands, in a way that she can receive it. You can know or assume that your small group loves you, but you will know this at a whole nother level when they are the first ones that show up when crisis hits your life. Now, let me ask you, Which seat of knowledge do you think trumps the other? Is it our cognitive knowledge where our mind will rule our response? Or is it our experiential knowledge that will trump whatever our mind seems to believe is true? Well, I can tell you, almost every time, experiential knowledge will win. Why? Because our negative experiences help us to draw conclusions inside about God, about ourselves, about other people, about how the world works. And these conclusions may not be true, in fact, they could be direct lies. But they are conclusions that we have come to, or perhaps that the enemy has convinced us are true, and the rest of our lives are lived out from that experiential truth, often no matter what people say or how much counseling we have received. Here's an example. The level of rejection and unworthiness that I felt, and I shared some of that last week, created such an emptiness within me that It didn't matter how many awards I I achieved when I was growing up. It didn't matter how many pats on the back I would receive from the people around me. You could not convince me that I was worth much. I believed it at the very core of who I was. I am worthless. Well, These are called lies in our belief system. And they tend to rule our life. You know, I've worked with many people who struggle with these things. I have struggled with other lies in my belief system that have hurt my relationships with others. It's hurt my relationship with God in significant ways. And from what I have seen, the only way out is to go back to that memory where that lie was seeded into our experiential knowledge allow Jesus into that memory to bring his truth, his presence into those moments, and then healing, healing from the hurts and freedom from the bondage of that lie can occur. You see, experiential knowing, both good and bad, until there's healing, cannot easily be overcome or taken away from us. And in fact, that's why significant proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the apostles and those who witnessed Jesus being alive after he was crucified and he was dead, they put him in the the grave. They give their lives for that truth. They not only knew it to be true in their mind, they knew it to be true because they experienced his presence With them, this is not in PowerPoint, but First John chapter one, verse one and two. We proclaim you to the one who we proclaim to you, the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have catch this. We have heard and we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our hands. He is the Word of Life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him and now we testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life he was with the father and then he was revealed to us that's why christians around the world for two thousand years have given their lives for trusting in jesus christ because their faith is not just cognitive it's not just based on facts that they know about jesus christ to be true It is true because they have experienced God to be real and Jesus Christ to be true. They have experienced the love of God. They have experienced the truth about who Jesus is in their heart, in their emotions. And that truth cannot easily be taken away. That's what Paul is getting at here. In this text, in laying the foundation for how we get along with others in our life and the unity within the body of Christ, he is saying that our experience with God is what everything else is based on, everything in our relationship. Our experience with God forms the footings, it's the foundation to our experience of joy that is so... so Uh, found in Philippians, and our ability to get along with others. And a lack of this kind of experience is one of the significant reasons why people leave the church and they walk away from God altogether. It's one of the significant reasons why our youth choose not to make God a priority in their life. The other thing we need to realize is that our experiential knowledge, it involves our emotions. Now, before you shut me down, men especially, because you don't want to talk about feelings, I want us to notice the emotional words in verse 1. Notice this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any gentleness and compassion, encouragement, Comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. These are the things that we experience in our emotions as a result of our relationship with God. Male, female, doesn't matter. So let's go through these to to see what they tangibly look like. Are these true in your life? Are you experiencing them? If you have any encouragement from, from being united with Christ, could be... A sense of confidence that even when life is difficult, even when life is overwhelming or challenging beyond belief, it's the confidence that says, God still has this. God still has me, even though I don't understand. Encouragement from being united with Christ could be a sense of peace when we're facing uncertainty because of whatever has happened. We're not sure what the future looks like. Will we be safe? How will I make our expenses this last month that we just heard from Barry? Pay those bills. Will our spouse leave us? Will our kids ever come back to Christ? You know, maybe it looks like this encouragement in being united with Christ looks like a calm in the midst of the storm. Peace in the midst of anxiety. For those of us who are walking with God today, what does encouragement from being united with Christ look like for you? If any comfort from His love. You know, when the frailty of our humanness, emotions of rejection, unworthiness, abandonment, feeling alone, all expose a core need at the very deepest part of who we are. A significant part of our identity and how we view ourselves is based, is dependent on whether we feel loved or not. That experience that I told you about last week had a profound effect of comfort to my spirit and to my soul. That's what experiencing the love of our heavenly Father does to us inside. Did we feel cherished as a child growing up in our home? If not, it'll be very difficult for you to feel cherished now, to receive that, especially from God or from those who are closest to us. The very presence of Jesus in the midst of painful experiences brings profound comfort like nothing else in this life. If any fellowship with the Spirit, have you ever been in a challenging experience where you feel like you were thrown into the deep end? You are in over your head and you don't know what you're going to do. Well, that's a good time To trust in the Holy Spirit. That's when we need Him. When we don't have what it takes in ourselves. You know, Ann, if she was here, uh, she could tell the story better than I, I can. When it became evident that God was calling us to write and to create our own marriage retreat, about two weeks before we were going into our first one, she has a meltdown. Overwhelmed by having to stand up in, people, in front of people and speak. But not just speak. It's to share openly about our experiences and our mistakes and our pain and how God had, has ministered to us deeply so that our marriage can thrive, not just barely survive. Well, in those moments, she cries out to God. And His answer, the sense on her spirit, was simply this. Well, Who is this about? Is this about you, or is this about me? (laughs) And when she realized, and therefore chose that this wasn't gonna be about her, she committed it to God, and I find this weird, but she has hardly felt nervous at all every time that we've gone to be at that marriage retreat and deliver, and to speak. That, she has been trusting in the Holy Spirit to give her what she needs, that is a benefit. That is the strength that comes when we rely on the Holy Spirit. That's partly what it means to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Walking, keeping in step with Him, trusting in Him for what we don't have. You know, one of His roles is to fill our hearts with, his, with God's love. That's Romans 5. And He does this when we hang out with Him. And we ask Him to do this. There is nothing like a sense of God's presence this fellowship, this connection with the Holy Spirit, when He manifests His presence to us, it's, it's simply like this sense that God is right here with me. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in the whole world. These moments are incredible. Have you experienced this? Maybe you're experiencing this right now. I hope you are. Holy Spirit, would you manifest your presence to us here now? Paul goes on, he says, if any tenderness and compassion. Well, when we experience God's forgiveness of our mistakes and the ways that we dishonor Him, that's our sin, there grows within us this natural tendency to be tender and compassionate with other people in their weaknesses, in their mistakes, and especially when they do things that hurt us. Tenderness and compassion flow from those who have experienced them. Tenderness is something that I believe that the Holy Spirit does deep within us and compassion is what then spills over to the people around us. So, if you'd say you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, are you experiencing some of these things? If you could maybe put the verse back up there, verse 1. You know, the fact that Paul uses if at each of those, at the beginning of those phrases, those questions, is not questioning whether they are actually experiencing these things. It's like a rhetorical question, assuming that this is a natural reality in their relationship with God. It would be like him saying, well, of course these things are a part of your experience with God, so therefore... If you would say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today and these things are not a part of your experience, your experience with God, then maybe you need to ask yourself some very serious questions. Have you actually surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you actually made that decision to say, Jesus, no matter what, I want you to be the boss and the Lord and the leader of my life. Do you sense the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of us when we surrender our life? Maybe another question is, what is hindering you from experiencing His love and His comfort, His presence? Can I encourage you? Talk to your small group about these things. Explore these things. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to hold you accountable as you seek God for these things. Perhaps come up to the the front after the service. We'll have a prayer team here. We love to pray for people to help them experience God for real in their life and whatever need that you may have. You see, without these tangible experiences of God's love and presence in our life, when our life and relationships go sideways, we won't have this foundation that is necessary for us to get along with others like Paul is talking about here. We're kind of like this bag of marbles. While we may be with other people who temporarily hold similar views, similar preferences, similar likes, music, perspectives on how society should be governed, like this bag holding it together, these things are external notions that hold us together. But when change, when things change, when we suddenly disagree with our politics or our music or our perspective on how society should be governed, crisis will be like this bag holding the bags. I mean, holding... Holding the marbles. When crisis cuts the external notion holding us together, there's nothing holding us together. We just bounce off the floor and we go in our separate directions. independent, fragmented, alone, disenfranchised, like everybody else in the world. There's no glue. There's no cohesiveness that's holding us together. Why is this so important? Because our experience inspires us To be like-minded, verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. This means literally to think the same thing. Paul's not talking here about doctrine. He's not talking about moral standards, but more of the conversation needed in order to come to a common understanding and a genuine agreement. Rather than just assuming the worst of somebody else's beliefs or what they think, let's have an actual conversation about it. Let's dialogue. There are times, I believe, that when we and another person who follows Jesus Christ can be at significant odds about some issue. But I find that when we actually talk about it, we're closer, a whole lot closer than what what we think we are. It just takes time to figure that out and an open heart. But it doesn't come naturally. We typically like to make our judgments about what a person thinks, what they believe. And so it takes intentionality for us to have that conversation. Being like-minded means to deliberately and intentionally seek to come on the same page. And we do it Because we've experienced God's love and presence personally, that we will do all we can to be unified in the body of Christ. Now, there are times and there are reasons to leave a church and to go engage and serve in another church that the Holy Spirit leads us to. But Paul is saying here don't just leave. Do the work to see if you can get on the same page together. Experience with God inspires us to get on the same page with, each, with other believers, whether that's in small group or whether that's here in large group. It also inspires us to love sacrificially. Verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. <clears throat> It's interesting here that Paul does not use the Greek word phileo here. Phileo is an affectionate, brotherly love type of love. Instead, he uses the Greek word agape, which is the sacrificial, the self-giving love that God expresses to us. I find it interesting because Paul is not expecting us to like everybody the same, that's just not possible. I think if you're honest, it's not possible. You don't do that. We, it's, just, it, it's not the way it works. But He does call us to sacrificially express love to others no matter who they are, no matter how much we like them or not, no matter how much they irritate us, annoy us, no matter whether we agree on that, with them on politics or on health issues or on style of music, or a sense of humor. One area this relates directly to is our openness to new people in our life. Are we not just open to, but are we actively looking for new people to join our small group? Are we open to getting to know the neighbors who just moved down the street? Will we make room in our life for new people that God is bringing into our life, that He wants us to love? Or will we simply gravitate towards our little clique, those friends we feel so comfortable with, and leave it at that? What we've experienced, Loriann and I, and we've heard from many others, is that Calvary is a very warm and welcoming church. Lorianne and I are very grateful for this. We are so grateful for how you have embraced us. And I hear it from many others who are new within this last year of how they feel welcome and they feel embraced as well. But here's our challenge. Are we just going to leave it there or are we actually going to invite people into our life into community, doing life together with us? Will we create a small group so that more people can connect into community with us? Or will we simply feel comfortable with those that we already know? We'll be cordial with those who are new around us, but we're not going to let it go any farther than that. And can I speak about our weekend services for a minute? If you have been here two weeks, so like last week and this week, you're no longer new. You're one of us. You may not know the person sitting next to you, whether they have been here for 40 years or maybe this is their first time. Are you going to reach a hand and meet them? Start up a conversation and see what God does. What would it look like for you to begin to invest in other people and ask God who he wants you to reach, who he wants you to do community with, who he wants you to invest into creating a small group? Just create it from scratch. Neither of you are in a small group. Well, let's just do this. And we will invest the time to equip your group to be the church. Let's love sacrificially, making the choice to seek the welfare of others who may be looking to connect into community and invite people into our lives. You've done it for us, Lorianne and I. Let's keep doing it for others around us. Thirdly, our experience with God inspires us to be one in spirit and purpose. Verse 2 then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose United in spirit literally means to be one-souled, as if we have the same soul, the same values, the same purpose and direction. I don't know if you've had this experience, but whenever I've traveled throughout the world to other countries, I meet other followers of Jesus Christ, and when I do, there is this immediate bond that happens between us. sometimes, We haven't even spoke the same language, but when we converse through an interpreter, there is a connection that happens very quickly at the spiritual level. We are often very different people, but instantly there is a commonality that bonds us together. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who follows Jesus Christ and surrenders their life to him has this Holy Spirit living inside. And so when two believers meet, that bond is revealed. What Paul is saying here is for us to build off that common bond that we have in Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, working shoulder to shoulder on the same purpose. And Jesus outlined this for us. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to His disciples. He said, "'I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.'" teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, one of the ways to help us get along with others is to keep the main thing the main thing, not get caught up in a lot of the smaller things. Here at Calvary, we are about Jesus, what Jesus is about. He is on mission to build His church, and He is calling us to work with Him and to go and make disciples who make disciples. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, are you about what Jesus is about? Think of how you invest your time, your money, your resources. Will you figure out how to, what your spiritual gifts are and then go and seek to serve in those? to use them, to share Jesus with somebody else? Does your small group have a mission? Or has your group been complacent and short-sighted? Too comfortable to step outside your comfort zone and see what, who God would reach through you? As soon as we get wrapped up in our own pleasure, our own comfort levels, or our selfish ambition or our worry, being more concerned about our own feelings and our preferences than what others are feeling, we will make things that are unimportant in the kingdom of God very important to us. And then we fight over them. We will choose sides on an issue that the Bible does not teach about or does not draw a side on. And then we shun anybody else who doesn't believe as we do. As soon as we make our comfort and our pleasure more important than Jesus and what he's trying to accomplish, who he's trying to reach, we will have trouble getting along with others because they will make us feel uncomfortable and then get in the way of our pleasure. And then we can really make a mess of things. Though unity is a byproduct of our experience with God it does not come automatically. It doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to work at. We've got to be very intentional with. And as we anticipate Christmas this this month, may our experience with God inspire us to be like-minded with others, to do what it takes to get on the same page, to love sacrificially those that he is bringing into our life, and to seek to get On the same page in spirit and in purpose. When we do, when we do, it's a lot like this magnet and this plate of metal shavings. Like the draw that a magnet has for metal. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what God is intended to do. The Holy Spirit's intended to do amongst us. Contrast it to the marbles that are all over the stage. (laughs) This is what it's about. So, I ask you, Will you do your part to maintain the unity of this church? To maintain the unity of your small group? Will you go after the things in your life that are getting in the way of you getting along with others? Whatever it is. And if those things include emotional unhealth, if those things include a lack of experience of God's love and presence in your life, then can I invite you to pray this prayer with me? Here's a prayer. I'm gonna give you a few moments just to read it through yourself. And then I'm gonna invite all of us to stand and all of us who are willing, then we'll read this together out loud. Let's take a few minutes just to read this. Okay, can I invite you to stand? If you aren't ready to do this, you don't have to. If you don't feel comfortable with this, please don't. But if this is the determination in your own heart, you want to grow in these things, then I invite you, let's read this together. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you for your love and your desire to connect with me. I thank you that you loved me enough to die for my sin. I thank you that you desire to have an intimate and tender relationship with me. Will you help me grow in this? May I experience the encouragement that comes with being united with Christ. Will you comfort me in your love? Help me experience an ongoing connection with the Holy Spirit and may you fill my heart with tenderness and compassion. I choose by an act of my will to pursue unity with other believers and open my heart and life to new people you want me to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's
0: worship together. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, do not hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.